welcome to Knock On Podcast, where we bring you archery information and education that you can trust. Knock On was created as a way to bring all archers together, regardless of the brand you choose or the style of archery you shoot. Knock On Podcasting will deliver professional insights to the latest gear, proper shooting technique, along with high-level equipment setup and tuning. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another Knock On Podcast. Uh, Nice and early in the morning here in Iowa. Uh, Dodging some rain. I want to get out and do some shooting, so I'm hoping to get this podcast knocked out. Get all of you started with your work week and uh, all that good stuff with a new podcast. And then I'm going to get out and do some shooting. Been working on a lot of bows here in the last few weeks. All my close buddies are trying to get their crap together before hunting season starts so i'm the lucky guy to uh do that for some of my close pals um but uh i guess there's a few things i want to jump into before getting on to some of these questions um some of these questions that i've got today i actually don't even know what they're about i'm having my trusty little sidekick antoine uh just grab um, questions and answers out of the message places because quite frankly there's I think about 4,000 um, questions right now sitting in my inbox so it's quite overwhelming um, I do want to get to them all but there's time is not on my side right now uh, the numbers are not weighing in my favor but uh, there's a couple cool things one, uh, we have come up with a name for the knock-on release. Um, I actually mentioned it in, I said it in uh, the YouTube video that I did um, just the other day. I posted a YouTube video. Um, I was actually restringing a bow and did a complete restring and used this little technique, which I also posted a little video of. Um, on my social media spots uh, using an arrow and how you can use an arrow and kind of hold it down on something firm that's a reference uh, with your string. For this particular bow, I held it on the string stop. Then I just took a marker, uh, made little marks exactly where the knock is clipped in between the tied knocks, and then also uh, made a mark where the peep sight goes. So once you put your new string on and you get everything, um, synchronized and you get your draw length, you know, the strings and cables twisted up to where your draw length and poundage and specs are all where you want them. Uh, then you can just take that, you know, arrow shaft, set it down on whatever type of reference mark you have on that string. You can set it all the way down against the cam. I set it against the string stopper just because I never moved it. Uh, went ahead and retied right in those exact same spots um, and shot through paper, had the same exact tune, and then went outside and made one shot at 20, and it was right in the bottom of the X ring. So then I went ahead and shot at 80 yards uh, just to see where that was going to hit, and it hit perfectly center. Uh, but during that video, I actually made the comment, uh, let's knock to it. And that is going to be the name of the new release, the knock to it. Um, I got a pretty cool little graphic that's going to be going on the release. And those releases are actually going to be getting put together here, uh, this week. So I'm hoping um, they'll, we'll have them all assembled and then package and all that good stuff and make sure everything's a hundred percent. Um, and then get them rocking. If you've sent emails, um, to Sharon, uh, through the web store, um, then which there's a, the, the list right now for pre-orders is really awesome. We've almost, we've almost allocated, the majority of this huge batch that I just ordered have already been allocated to people who have kind of sent an email saying that they want to be make sure they're on the list for when these first ones come. So um, that's going to be really cool. What we there were so many really good names. Um, it was really tough to decide. I was bouncing names off 
off everybody. Uh, me and Sharon and little Dud would sit and just keep kind of kicking names around during breakfast. And there were several good ones. And what I'm going to do is we're going to still pick um, the five names that we really like the most. And I'm going to put together a little care package. I'm going to announce who those five people were uh, with those names that kind of, even if they just made me laugh, I'm going to pick five people and send out a little care package to all of you out there uh, who took part in that. But I'll also post um, what this new sucker will look like because uh, we've kind of got an idea of exactly how it's going to be. Uh, appreciate everyone using them. I know I'm loving mine. Um, just And actually it's funny because um, one of my good buddies who is um, ridiculously observant, um, Ryan Bronco, he sent me a text um, showing uh, the same type of release from, I believe it was season one of the show. And, you know, he's like, how long you been holding out? Let's see, I'm looking at this. Yeah, it's season one um, of the show. Episode one, season one, he sent me a screenshot. Um, you can see my release hanging on the string. And it was, like I said, it was actually a very early version. I've had, Jerry have made, Jerry made these for me years ago. I've always shot them that way. Um, he's made them for me a long time, but I, they weren't anything that went into production. Um, the original ones were cut down versions of releases that were already on the market. Um, so that particular one was, it wasn't an auto closing one, which is what I really, really like about this one. I love having an auto closing, uh, head for hunting situations. So you're not having to flip cock close, uh, just self closes and, you know, I'm telling you that heavy cocking lever that I have custom made for these um, just drives that just drives that jaw open uh, really fast. And the angle that it's sitting on, if you have one of the releases or if you look at a picture of the release, um, the actual jaws themselves are set um, or the jaw sear is set at an angle so that it kind of troughs your loop to the side of the casing so that it's always coming out the same exact area. Um, even if you slightly vary, um, how you've curled your fingers, you don't have to worry about, um, curling your fingers and sliding that D loop to a different position on the actual hook, which can, um, cause a variance in how that, that, uh, that loop comes out of the hook. So I'm just super happy with it. And I'm, just can't thank all of you enough for your response to it. It's been awesome. Um, you know, it really, it's actually just got me, got me on a whole new wavelength here of there's times where I really, really want something. And, um, manufacturers have just told me that there's not enough people that would buy them, so they're not going to do it. And, you know, with, with the power of the knock on nation out there, all of you, um, from now on, if there's something that I think the world needs and we really like, um, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna pay and have it made and try to, uh, try to let you guys know on something that that's cool. I don't know what that's going to be at this time other than the release, but, um, from now on, it certainly doesn't rule it out. You know, it was the same thing with the bow cases, with the knock on bow cases. Uh, I really love those. Uh, actually made a travel case that I've been traveling with for, um, I guess about 12 or 15 months now. I'm trying to just put miles on it, make sure that it's that it'll hold up. Um, that's a big, that's, you know, one of the scary things about developing things like cases, especially if they're travel cases. Um, I'd say I got about 300, 400,000 miles in the air with this one and, um, it's doing pretty good. So maybe that'll be something in the future. Maybe not. Um, but again, thank you. Uh, the name's going to be knocked to it. I'll post a video of that. And like I said, I do want to throw 
out some care packages for any of you out there who came up with um, a cool name. There was some funny ones, and there was certainly some that I could never take to the market because of the category of name, but that doesn't mean I wasn't uh, laughing during my morning cup of joe looking at some of those and i always appreciate that i'm into humor so um a lot of you out there on the social media just say stuff jacking around and uh i it's a good break for me mentally to to hear that um i guess one last plug too is um we did get a brand new women's shirt an addicted archery slash hit knock bottom women's shirt on um, a three-quarter sleeve baseball top, and it's really, really cool. Um, Sharon got one of these made for herself a little while back, and she's she just really, really loved it. Um, so I ended up saying we need to get those on the market. So we just posted those, and we also did a, a white, or I think it's a chart like a light charcoal or a light heather um, V-neck short sleeve. Um, kind of target-oriented um, women's shirt, too. So uh, we've got a couple cool new women's shirts on the website, too, if you want to check them out. So um, other than that, I'm going to jump into some of these questions, and we'll get after it. So uh, first question here on this list, uh, hey, Joe, or uh, hey, Dud, heard you on Joe's podcast um, binge through all of your podcast episodes and then bought myself a Hoyt Power Max. I'm loving shooting my bow and really appreciate all the helpful knowledge that you're putting out there. Thanks, man. Appreciate that, Ryan, too. Welcome to archery. Um, that's awesome. I'm currently shooting a wrist strap release and have a tendency to punch the trigger every now and then. I'd like to try a handheld release but haven't been able to find any of my shops that carry them. Do you think it'd be best to start with an evolution or maybe your new knock on one? Um, so here's the deal, Ryan. I know that I sound like a broken record with this, but I'm just totally convinced that, and my, my wife and my boy are prime examples, um, as well as many, 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 um, youth that I've coached that are that have gone on to be national champions or or even world champions um, in their categories or in their countries. Um, there is nothing wrong with y- using that evolution and really learning the fundamentals of shooting and doing it the right way. Um, the level of of I guess cadet and junior archers is outstanding right now in archery. It's a true testament to um, being able to educate people through like podcasts or or videos or whatever, um, because people are able to really learn the right way. They're not having to figure this stuff out anymore. I mean, I remember. Um, just 10 years ago, I remembered going to compete in a world championship, um, in Croatia. And I remember walking around and seeing some of the equipment from some of the people that were from some of the smaller countries. And it was just mind blowing how far behind they were in, you know, even fletchings and arrow shaft selections and, you know, peep sites or, you know, um, string materials, just all these little things. Um, whereas now everyone is able to get information instantly. I mean, you know, the fact that this podcast will come out and, you know, 20 or 30,000 archers are going to know the name of this release in a day is pretty mind-blowing you know it's really really cool and that evolution or any type of release for that matter that you're able to execute a shot with a total surprise that is what will make you the best archer Um, there's still this stigma out there that you really need to have control of a trigger 
um, and use a thumb trigger or an index trigger in order to be able to to make your shot. And even if you're someone who has the ability to make a shot with a trigger, um, regardless of thumb or index, if you have the ability to make a shot with your trigger with a surprise release, that does not mean that you're going to make that all the time. And in my opinion, what matters most to me is not the fact that you can shoot a release 90% of the time with a perfect shot. What matters most to me and what really, I think, separates the good from the great is someone that is forced to be in a situation where you have pressure on you, you're nervous, and you're in a situation where the odds are technically stacked against you um, when it comes to whether or not you're going to rush through a shot or, um, you know, rush through a shot or not execute a proper shot because of the situation or the circumstance or the pressures involved. The difference between the goods and the great are the people that are in that same exact position but just kind of totally give up control and just say I'm going to I'm going to pull through this release and I'm going to work through this release and accept what happens and once you're able to do that your shooting just goes to a whole different level it's really difficult to explain but I know for me it took me almost six years before I could transition um, from a hinge style release at that time, um, which I did have hinge releases. I had a whole pocket full of them. I did the same thing that that Randy Ulmer had taught me. Um, In order for me to cure my panic, I had some that were, that would go off faster than others. Um, and some that were extremely slow. Um, and that way when I reached into my release pouch and I was shooting, I didn't have any choice, but to make sure that I kept pulling through my shot, whether it went off fast or whether it took a while. Um, I just had to learn to be patient and, you know, sometimes when you first get your finger on the trigger and you're trying to learn this, if that release doesn't go off right away, you kind of, you know, you have that little hiccup or that tremor. And this is especially for people who have started punching their triggers already. The key is to be able to get past that, but then also not just have the release go off right after that. Sometimes you need to, you know, you need to learn if you do have that tr- that tremor that you still may be able to stay committed to that shot for several, several seconds before that release finally fires. And that's what these teach you. Um, I've got a student that was just shooting perfect shots with an evolution, shot well with it for a long, long time, and eventually just kind of gave in to the fact that Everyone around him was shooting thumb triggers and hinge releases and that there was new hinge releases coming out and there was new this coming out or new that coming out, but they were still shooting a release that was, you know, at this time, it's almost 10 years old. Um, Hey, my, this knock to it that I'm shooting is a release that to me is 10 years old or older. I mean, it's older than that. I've shot them. I've shot them since the early 2000s. Um, same thing with the Evolution. I still shoot one. I still have one now. I still have an Evolution. I still have, um, on days where I want to just go out and work with a hinge just because, I still use my Revenger or my original A-Tension. I mean, I've got releases that are, you know, 10 to 20 years old. I've got you know this the sight on my bow right now i'm shooting a a sherlock that steve steve gibbs made me in 1999 um you know i'm shooting stuff that is fundamentally sound it doesn't come apart it's reliable and the same is true when it comes to releases i just really feel like 
if you're able to execute a perfect shot with the evolution in a game situation, in a pressure situation, if that's what you're able to make your shot with, then that's what you need to go with. Um, I feel like it doesn't matter to to me. It doesn't matter if if a student is able to sit here at their home range and shoot 500 arrows a day with a thumb release, and every one of them's good, but then they go to a shoot off situation, or if they go hunting with me, and you know an animal comes in, and the first thing they want to do is just pull back and forget everything and punch the trigger, then in my mind, all you've done is wasted a lot of time because you really still haven't grasped um, the, for me, the true fulfillment of archery, and that is being able to sit there and execute that shot. Um, whether it's the first arrow out of your bow case or, or whether it's the last. Um, a few weeks ago, I was shooting with some friends um, and literally took my took my bow out of the out of the case. Had pulled the first arrow out of my quiver. I was still really tight and everything like that. And you know, the first thing that was said is, "All right, let's uh, let's have a three arrow shoot off." And I'm just like, "Really? Just right now?" That's and uh, yep, let's just do it. And you know, to be able to pull back and still just execute the exact same shot. Um, even when someone calls you out and says, you know, we're going to do this. Um, for me, that's what stands apart, and that's what you have to be able to fall back on. If you have a release to where if you get put in that same situation, you know you're going to end up making a turd shot, then that's not the right release for you. Um, and in Ryan's case here with this question, you're right, Ryan, it, it sucks that um, a lot of shops don't necessarily have these things to try. Um, and that go- that actually goes for a few, few things in archery. Sometimes shops don't have them to try. Um, but you know you need you need to you need to be able to get one or go somewhere or find someone that's got one to where you can play with it for a little bit um, if you want to, um, you know because, they all fit different in your hand too. Some just feel so much better in your hand. Um, the other thing too is, I've talked about this in the past. Um, the year that I held my best world ranking, I actually shot the fewest shots of ever in my career on the actual range. The majority of my shots during that year were actually shot just using. Um, a string, a piece of D-loop or a piece of D-loop material that I had tied into a circle to where when I hooked it on my thumb of my bow hand and I clipped my release on it, I could come to a full draw position and I could just anchor um, my hand on my face in the same position as I would if I was at full draw with my bow. I would work on being able to move my thumb to that trigger and figure out exactly how much pressure I could have on that trigger before I started my pull and I would get my shots to execute flawlessly. I really learned, um, I really perfected my preload um, and my pull and my timing by just using string. Um, And, you know, this, uh, this past week, a buddy of mine went on vacation. He wasn't able to shoot. So I told him, I said, make sure you take, um, you know, your string and your release aid, just put it in your bow case and just, I really want you just to work on preload and timing. That's all I want you to think about because when he comes back and gets his bow again, I want him to be able to pull that bow, come into his anchor, look through his peep, level his sight, get his pin on that target, and then get his thumb to that trigger and just almost know exactly how much pressure he should have on there before he starts to pull through the shot. The same is true for people if you have an evolution. You know, shooting with a string is a great way uh, to do that, or if you have a hinge release as well. 
Um, I'm actually going to be doing a video here for my buddies at um, Bow Junkie. Uh, Greg and Danny asked if I would do a video just showing how I like people to operate different types of release aids um, and how I like hand positions and and um, movements to be for executing that shot. And I promised um, I promised those guys I would do it for them. So I'm gonna definitely get that done. And hopefully all this stuff will kind of continue to make sense for you. It's just really it's coming down to time. And I know I keep saying that, but um, I apologize. I'm, you know, I'm only sleeping about five hours a day at the most. And I'm doing everything I can to keep my head above water with all this stuff. Uh, but I do want to get that done. And I do want to get um, a video done as well um, when it comes to beginning people getting into archery and kind of what that what you need to do to get set up which would have been useful in your situation as well ryan but again welcome to archery and uh thanks for thanks for mailing in buddy appreciate that uh next question here oh before i move on the one thing i forgot to mention um during the first few minutes of the podcast which uh i didn't want too much of it to be a plug because I know I was talking about the release and t-shirts and everything, but the next thing is season six of knock on TV will be released to the world wide web via the knock on archery YouTube channel. This Friday will start episode one. Um, what I'm going to do is I'm going to, I'm going to load a new episode each week to the knock on archery YouTube so for all of you out there who did not get um, the Sportsman's Channel or Wild TV or whatever else you'd have to get to see the show, um, I will be launching season six of the of the show starting this Friday at the Knock On Archery YouTube channel. So please, please share. Um, again, I'm doing all this stuff for free. There's no subscription. Please subscribe to the YouTube thing. That way, you um, as soon as I load a video, you you'll automatically be able to watch it. Um, that the people that have subscribed, I can tell when I'm in the backyard or whenever I load a video to my YouTube channel directly from my phone. Even if I'm out somewhere in a field or if I'm shooting in the backyard. If I film something that I'm shooting, film a little tip, and I download it quick to YouTube even without editing it, which is what I've been doing a lot. It's been pretty rough, but um, you know, it's not like production grade. But those people that are subscribers, I can see that before I even get to refresh my screen, there's already you know hundreds of people watching those videos. So make sure you check that out. Um, okay, next question here is from TJ Brenny. He says, hey, John, just a question I've had for a while. I haven't heard you mention it with your other podcasts. I want to know what you think about wearing gloves while you hunt, while you shoot or practice. Um, I shoot with thin gloves all the time. and feel like when I shoot with gloves um, or shoot without gloves, it changes my anchors and my group. Um, just wondering if you had serious, um, similar experience with this. And if you think uh, it makes a difference. Um, yeah, I know Bill Winky pre preached for a long time. He really likes to buy some cheap cotton gloves and something that's kind of slick on the bottom. He just kind of wears some farm gloves. And um, he really likes how it feels on his grip. Um, feels it's a lot, lot less torque. Um, I certainly, there's a couple things here. One, I really like to practice how I play. So when it comes to hunting season, I always make sure that before I do my hunt, um, I always like to go out and practice in my exact hunting attire. Um, that means the gloves that I'm going to use. It means my face mask if I'm going to use one. Um, also if I'm going to be wearing a backpack, I like to put that on too. There was actually a time where, um, I went out, I was kind of prepping for a hunt. I had a brand new backpack a company had sent me and I was convinced that I was going to use it. 
So I went out, um, luckily, a couple days before, and I kind of put all my gear on, and I was standing in the backyard, and I actually came up and came to full draw, and when I shot, my string actually caught this um, stupid little clip that was on the backpack that was there to like for you to be able to clip your um your little water um tube for your drinking water there was um, where your drinking water tube came out of your back it clipped on this little clip that they had put on the left chest and it was just much too big and it kind of kept it out away and when i called them like what in the heck were you thinking of that and they're their um, thought on it anyway was that when it's against your body, when you press it, it actually it it accidentally leaks out. So their their idea was, which can happen, and I have had happen, but um, they had it out away so that it was easier to grab and put in your mouth. But nevertheless, it freaking hooked my string. So uh, if that would have happened the first day of you know or within an elk hunt, I would have freaking stomp that thing into the mud uh so luckily i did it beforehand same's true with your gloves and your face mask um certain gloves obviously can definitely change your anchor point especially like um if you have like a flip over style glove when you flip like a mitten that flips back so your fingers are exposed some people like those when you do those and then you go to, if you're shooting a handheld release and you go to anchor on your face now all of a sudden your hand is like two inches away from your cheek so it certainly changes the impact same's true with face mask if there's certain face masks that aren't form fitting to the face which is why i always really really like the under armor um I really love the Under Armour face mask because it was spandex and they just went really tight around the face. Um, I liked that and I found that also I still shoot the thin Under Armour gloves. I feel like they're the best ones. Are they the warmest? No. Um, They certainly make warmer ones, but in my opinion, I really like to be able to feel things. I like to be able to feel the button on my release. Um, I like to be able to feel the button on my release. I like to be able to feel the button on my rangefinder. I like to be able to feel the dial on my sight. You know, all the, these little things. I like to have feelings um, with my fingers. So I shoot a thinner glove, so I know that I don't really have to worry about it near as much. Um, but it's certainly something that I think is valuable, but also something that I think um, you should try. Some people that wear their hands sweat a lot, a lot, they like to wear them even you know in the summer months when they practice. Uh, that's just up to you. But yeah, I would recommend um, definitely practicing how you play. And if you do have a glove, go ahead and try it out before you end up getting on a hunt. Um, and appreciate you sending that in. Next question here is from, uh, let's see, uh, Kevin Samuel. Um, it says, I got a question about target bows. My local Hoyt dealer does not keep any target bows in stock. What's the best way for me to get my hands on some Hoyt target bows before trying one? Um, let's see. Yeah, maybe Hoyt should open hold an open house at a local dealer's once in a while. Um, yeah, well, there's a couple things there, and this kind of chimes right back to what I had talked about earlier with Ryan. It sucks sometimes with these products that dealers you know they don't stock everything um you know there's so many products that that dealers just don't have they kind of um you know there's especially with companies that offer more customizable things like that's the one great thing that hoyt offers that most other people don't is the ability to really customize your bow the problem with that though is when there's so many choices it's there's just not they don't have the ability to have all those in a dealer so you know if you're trying to pick something that's not of the cookie cutter um that that's out for everybody then yeah you kind of just you're ordering and praying that it's uh gonna be what you want so When it comes to target bows, the one thing that maybe I would recommend if you want to see one is 
um, to maybe go into your local dealer and ask him when the Hoyt rep is going to be coming, or for that matter, whatever bow company, ask him when the local rep is going to be coming into the shop um, and say, you know, hey, can you please tell him that I'd really, really like uh, them to bring one of the target models because the reps always have, you know, they've got several of the models to show. Um, so that would give you the ability to actually see it and feel it and pull it back for yourself. Um, some of the tricky parts get into when you're customizing the type of cam that you want on there or even the length limb or something like that. Um, because, you know, they're not going to have every single one in stock either, but it'll at least give you an idea. Um, the other option is to go to a, um, try to go to a shoot that you might have in the area. You know, if you find out when, like, say, um, for example, I think this weekend maybe is the Iowa State Games. Um, there's a very, very good chance that, you know, if you kind of know where an Iowa State Games or where your state games are or a state championship or a national championship or if you're in a, um, a state where they host like an IBO or an ASA tournament, you know, those are going to be great places to be able to see some of those and walk around. And it would really be worth you just going and checking it out. Um, likewise, you know, you may have to, to do a little traveling if you actually want to get to a shop to where they offer it. You know, some shops really specialize in target type environments. Um, the other thing you could do would be to try to find out what your local club is or who your local club is. Uh, maybe make a call there and just, you know, just say, hey, I'm looking to, uh, I want to kind of see some of the t newer target bows on the market. Um, do you guys happen to have any, like, um, factory Hoyt shooters or uh, regional staff shooters from Hoyt or whatever brand it is that you want and just say, you know, is there any way I can get in contact with them? Because a lot of times the better archers in your area and the ones that are most likely going to have target bows are going to be ones that are shooting and practicing at clubs all the time too. So hopefully that helps you out, man. Appreciate you sending it in. Um, moving on here, next question is from Tyler Sansom. Um, he's asking, what's the difference between a hinge style release such as a Carter only and a back tension like the Evolution? Um, is either option better to learn on? So this kind of goes right back to what I was talking about earlier. Um, is one better to learn on the other? I don't, I can't really say. I think what I will say is with a hinge style release, there's multiple ways to shoot one. Um, there for me, I've never had, I had a little bit of a worry drawing one back the very first time or two that I shot one. I was worried about it firing because it does work off a hinge. So if you turn your hand the wrong way, it's going to fire. Um, so you really have to learn how to draw one correctly so that it's not going to fire. Um, but with a hinge style release, there's multiple ways to shoot it. So some people, even though they have a hinge style release, I've certainly seen a lot of people shoot them the wrong way. Um, and again, a lot of people start to want to have control. So, you know, they either, well, one of the most common things is because still in the back of their mind, they don't like knowing when that thing's going to go off. Um, they kind of want to have a safety system built into it. So they end up changing the half moon so that it has a little click before it fires. So that way they can rotate the release until it's very close to firing and they'll hear that click. Once they hear that click, they know that they're only going to be moving it a thousandths or two thousandths before that ends up firing. Um, I'm not a fan of the click. Uh, I know that it gives just as many people anxiety as it does that takes it away. So it's not a gamble that I particularly like. Um, the main difference between the two is a hinge is going to work off. Um, there's On the release itself, there's what's called a half moon. 
so this half moon and the reason it's called that you can if you look up you can know what a half moon looks like it's half of a circle so if you can picture half of a circle um, with that half of a circle that is actually the part of the release that the hand you know that's directly related to the handle is that half moon so if you can imagine that half moon you can tilt it and you can move it and you can pivot it around so there's also a separate part of that release which is connected to the head which is the hook of the release the hook is what hooks onto your D loop or onto your string that hook when it's when it's when it's touching a part of that half moon that's solid then it doesn't open but as soon as you rotate that half moon to where that hook falls off the part of the moon that doesn't exist then it literally it's almost like a trap door it falls off and then the hook swings open so ideally what you're doing is when you're drawing back your your hook is setting on a part of the half moon that's solid it's not allowing the release to fire and then once you come to full draw and you manipulate the release and the release moves around to where that hook is gliding friction free on that half moon as soon as it trips off the edge of the moon the hook opens and the release fires so with the hinge style release you have to move it in a hinging style motion in order to get that hook to fall off the edge of the moon so it does require some movement whether you're relaxing a certain finger to get it to pivot or whether you're contracting a certain finger to get it to pivot um whether you're twisting your whole hand, um, regardless, you have to manipulate that release to get it to fire. Whereas with the evolution, you close the hook, and it, which is ultimately cocking it. Then once it, your that evolution is cocked, you hold down the thumb button which is the safety and you hold that down to prevent it from firing then you clip the release onto the loop you draw your bow back you get into your anchor you look through your peep and once you get your pin on your target you're going to let off the safety and from there the release when it's set up properly will fire when you pull for a, for a certain amount of pressure against the back wall of your cam and and as you do that it increases holding weight because when you come to full draw with the compound let's just say you're holding 16 pounds at full draw what you can do is set this release to where as you continually pull against the back of the wall of that cam you're you're continually building pressure the harder you pull against it you're building pressure into that connection between that d loop and that hook that's hooked on there so with the evolution you actually adjust a little spring to where it takes a certain amount of pressure to compress that spring enough to where it allows that release to open up and surprisingly fire that arrow um, I normally set mine right around five pounds over my holding weight. That way I have to pull through. Um, when I'm working with students, I normally set the release to, to really force them to pull harder than what I would like them to once they've really learned it. Um, but for starting out, just to get that feel of pulling and being dynamic in the back half of the body and pulling until boom it's like it's almost like there's a trap door that you don't know about and that release just fires and the bow goes forward the release arm comes back and it's just a surprise and what it does is because you really don't know the exact timing that it's going to fire then what you're mentally you start to have to 
force yourself to keep the pin on the center of the target all the time because if you're if you're holding your pin low you don't have the ability to lift up and punch the trigger if you're holding it low and you're pulling if that release goes off it's going to go low so you just mentally start to have to force yourself to keep your pin on the center of the bullseye and just trust it there and allow it to float around there in the center as you're pulling through. And then when the release fires, the arrow is going to hit behind the pin. Um, it's just a much, much better way of doing it. I mean, it it's the only way, in my opinion. Uh, there's just, there's so few archers that, don't do it that way. I mean, there's, it's hard for me to say, um, it's hard for me to say that you can't shoot a wrist strap release good because there's, there are a few people who do. Um, I've certainly shot in major events where someone with a, with a wrist strap release has beat me with it. Arguably one of the best in the world with it is Dayon Sitar out of Slovenia. Uh, very, very awesome archer, good friend, world champion, world record holder. Um, but listen, there's one of him in the world. That That's the reality. You look at people who are able to shoot um, properly executed shots with hinge releases, and I'm talking major events, world championships, um, hinge releases, surprise releases, people that are able to put their pin on the target and continually pull until they execute a surprise shot, there is a thousand times to one more people that way than there are people shooting a wrist strap caliper release. That's just the truth. Um, There's certain fundamentals to archery where... um, we can argue, you know, one person can be set in their way and that's how they're going to do it. We can argue that until we're dead. Um, but I can tell you that if, if you give me 10 random people and I give that person 10 random people and you let me teach 10 people my way of shooting archery and then you give them 10 people and let them shoot a Um, a wrist strap release with a slightly long draw anchoring lower whatever it is Um, you know all these different things that really work for some people they're not going to work for the majority if you take a higher number of people certain recipes certainly are proven to work better and that's just the fact to it Um, I would say either one of those releases are going to be fine. Um, Really focus on trying to find someone to teach you the right way. Like I said, if I do this, if I get this video done here soon uh, for the Bow Junkie guys, then uh, I'll show you exactly how I shoot every single style release and we can go from there. And hopefully that'll be a good start to you. But ultimately you have to be able to to, to be willing to just get your pin on a target, pull through, and even if the situation is totally stacked in your favor, your heart's beating, you're nervous, someone's challenging you, um, the odds aren't stacked in your favor, if you're able to just say, you know what, I don't really care what happens, I'm just going to pull through. I'm just going to pull, I'm going to have a surprise shot, and I want to be surprised at the result. And my goodness, if you can do that, you, I'm telling you, you have made leaps and bounds and you have, you've made a commitment that very, very few in this sport are willing to make. And it's a reason why there's very, very few that really are at a super elite level. No question. Um, next question here is from Cliff. Um, he's asking, I'm new to archery and wondering what to do to get your strength to be able to pull your bow. Um, I want to do some bow hunting this fall, but right now, being new, I can't pull the 40 pounds that's required. So um, there's a couple things there, Cliff. One, don't be afraid of you know starting at lower poundage. I've talked about 
shooting weight that you can control and that you can handle is just super, super important. Um, and that's the reason why for me, there's a couple things. One, I, I'm a big advocate at, at fitness and, um, really having overall body workouts that help us have the ability to be more stable, um, as archers and also, you know, the stronger you are overall, the easier you are, you're going to be able to pull this bow. Now, when it comes to pulling a bow, so much is um, kind of revolved around just sequence of muscle pulling and, and actually um, knowing which muscles are working in connection with other muscles. Like, um, for example, uh, and I'm going to use my wife, Sharon, because, simply because Sharon, one, she worked up to where she could shoot 40 pounds. And that's all she shoots now. And she's, even at 40 pounds, um, Sharon has shot dozens of animals um, ranging from um, turkeys and hogs all the way up to to big game like um, kudu or elk size animals, um, shooting 40 pounds. The main thing is going to be, um, if you are shooting lower weight, you're really going to want to focus on using a broadhead that has more of a cut on impact, um, a simpler blade design, and you're just going to have much better penetration. But even at 40 pounds, like I said, she's shot animals that are seven, 800 pounds. Um, and, been fine. So, um, if, if you shoot those lower weights consistently, then don't be afraid of it taking time to continually build up to a certain weight. Um, but going and getting involved at a local gym and getting some pulling motions and doing rows or pull downs, those are certainly going to help, but also just practicing, grabbing your bow with your fingers. Um, what I did with Sharon and, and my boy Harry when they were first learning archery was um, I actually, you know, and you can't dry fire it, don't let go of the string, but I actually kept their bow in the living room and we just made it a point. Um, every single time, if we were in there as a family and um, we were watching TV, every time a commercial would come on, I'd have them grab their bow and I'd just have them raise it up to their side and pull it back, hold it at full draw, and then let it down. And I would just have them do that 10 times um, during the commercial break. And then I would just tell them to put it down. Um, you know, the, it. a lot of times the secret to gaining strength isn't taking yourself to failure. It's learning to do, to do continual repetitions you know, you look at people, you look at farmers that just throw hay bales and they stack thousands and thousands of hay bales. If they just sat there and were in one position doing the same thing for, you know, for a long amount of time, they would burn out. But a lot of times what happens when you're doing hay, you know, you're you're in the field, you're grabbing the hay bales, you're throwing on the hay wagon, you throw a bunch there, then you move up into the hay wagon, then you're sliding it all and kind of stacking it all and moving it around. You're not sitting there doing the exact same thing until you're burned out and until you've completely gone past failure. So this is a really good way. Take that bow, um, have your local shop turn the poundage down to where it's a comfortable poundage, and then just work on, like I said, just have it sitting somewhere to where you can grab it, you can pull it back, you can let it down, lower it down to your side. Then have it at your side, raise it up, kind of point the bow straight towards the target, draw the release hand back towards the face. Um, if you just work on practicing that, when it comes to archery muscles, if you haven't used them before, it's a very, very um, small group of muscles really um, for certain parts of the pulling sequence. And you'll be amazed at just how fast those build up. They'll build up incredibly fast. Um, but a lot of times the secret is to be able to, to start out at a weight to where you're able to do less reps. Um, 
one of my one of my newer friends um, that's actually working on my tattoo. His name is Nick, and uh, if any of you are in the Iowa area, I'm telling you, um, Nick at Union Station Tattoo in West Des Moines or in Des Moines is thebomb.com. But um, I taught him how to shoot archery, and he's a little guy. And at first, the bow was set. He got a bow from, you know, he traded a guy, I think, for a bow or something. And the bow was set to just more weight than what he can control. So I turned that bow down, and we kind of worked on some fundamentals. And the first time we met and shot together, um, you know, we only shot for about 10 or 15 minutes. And as soon as I seen him kind of starting to struggle and kind of, having to force his shots i just said are you kind of feeling a little tired and he said yeah i'm kind of tired i'm already feeling kind of sore just he goes not not everywhere just right here on this one muscle and i just said well let's just let's pack it up we'll be good so we packed up and uh we you know we went and i told him i said tomorrow or the next day as soon as that soreness goes away i said just go and i said just shoot I said, just shoot three arrows at a time. And I said, just shoot, you know, maybe six or 10 rounds like that. And I said, even if you don't feel tired, just pack up and, and, and head to work. And I said, and then, you know, if you have time at lunch, come back and just shoot about 20 arrows. And I said, and then pack up and head back. You would rather shoot lower quantities more frequently and not burn yourself out, and you're going to make a lot more process uh, progress. I think that'll help you out. Um, let's see. Okay, I've got another. I've got one last question here. Uh, we're running close to an hour, so we're pretty good on time. Um, this is from Joe M. Allers. Uh, he's got. I'm just looking, and there's a ton of questions here. Um, so one of them was pros and cons of a hunting with a wrist strap release versus a handheld. Um, so for me, I like the handheld for a couple reasons. One, I like it because I can clip it on the string, and it stays there. Um, I really like that when I'm tree stand hunting. I have my release on my loop i've got my arrow on my bow my bow's hanging on the easy hanger my easy hanger is like literally right in front of my body i'm sitting down or i'm standing up with my back against a tree and i can grab and go um, the other thing is for whitetail hunting specifically um, just climbing into my stand not having my my wrist strap on is really really helpful i don't like it pinging on um, the ladder I don't like it dangling down and pinging on my binoculars um, I just I like not having that around my wrist um, the other thing too is like I talked about earlier um, I like to wear thinner gloves a lot of times if you wear gloves with a wrist strap release it kind of gets a little tricky because if you don't get the length of your strap in the same position all the time then technically you slightly change how your anchor point is and how your hand is on your face or against your face so if you have to make that wrist strap quite a bit bigger to go around a glove sometimes if you don't have it just right you're actually because it's sliding farther forward on your hand your arm can actually be a little bit further back, which means you kind of tuck it around the back of your head more, which puts more string pressure on your face. So I just like avoiding all that. Um, I like shooting with thin gloves because I don't have a strap around my, my wrist. I can easily stuff my hands in my pockets of my jacket. I can put them all the way in there. There's nothing contacting. Um, the other thing too is when I'm doing spot and stock and I'm crawling, which a lot of times when I'm hunting the earlier part of the season for elk um, and muleys especially, I'm on my belly a lot and I'm crawling. Um, a lot of times it's early morning, late evening. If it's early morning, a lot of times that dew's on the ground. Um, you know, there's normally mud involved. So, you know, I just don't like having that that release strapped around my wrist 
Um, I'm able to have my release in a small little pocket that I have on my hip, or I really like to keep um, a release in a chest, front chest pocket. A lot of the vests and things that are out there, I like having that top chest part pocket on my top left chest because I keep a release right in there. Um, with a handheld, just, I mean, I've never personally lost one, but I always travel with two. I either have an extra one in my chest pocket or an extra one in my hip pocket, or I have an extra one that's in my backpack, um, in one of my, in one of my pockets there. And, you know, I guess that's just my preference. I love doing it that way. Um, some people really like to have the wrist strap though. So I guess it just comes down to preference. Um, let's see. The second question you had here um, was, does Hoyt make a carbon riser bow because it is stiffer than the aluminum riser bow? Um, I know that there are benefits to carbon risers um, and like the fact that it's warmer to the touch, even in the cold, and they're very light, but what's the main reason? So, I mean, you kind of hit on it yourself. There's benefits to carbon. Carbon is lighter and it's stiffer than aluminum. Um, it's extremely rigid and it also carries a different frequency through it um, when it comes to vibration levels. So um, I just, you know, I shot the Nitrum 34, which was an aluminum riser, really, really good last year. And I love that bow. And it was the first year in many that I had not shot a carbon riser. Uh, this year I went back to the carbon riser. Um, I just love, I love the frequency of it. Like when I shoot, I'm talking about the actual residual vibration. Um, there's hardly any vibration through the bow at all, but how that vibration dissipates through this carbon versus an aluminum is slightly different. Um, there's a, there's a difference in the vibration. There's a difference in the sound. Um, and the other thing too was I had, I really loved how that nitrum shot, it was an aluminum bow and I could get it faster than the carbon. So I, I went ahead and went with it. Um, and I loved how it shot the whole year. I shot fantastic with it. I loved it. But then, um, I ended up grabbing a hold of that thing in December on my deer stand and instantly remembered and again I like thinner gloves so when I grabbed a hold of that thing in December I had some deer that were coming through and during the late season when there's not much cover and it's quiet and it's cold um, you just don't have the ability to make much movement or make any sound um, in the whitetail woods and I had to sit there holding that thing for probably about 30 minutes while these deer uh, passed through and I was just sitting there thinking man I really want to be holding on to my my carbon bow right now um, does it shoot better I can't say it shoots better it's just it's different it's lighter it gives you the ability to because it's lighter it's going to give you the ability to um, have stabilizer setups that are slightly different if you want to shoot a small side rod or if you don't want to shoot a side rod it gives you you know or if you like some people like heavier weight at the end of their stabilizer um, a lot of people are shooting movable sights now which are naturally heavier than a fixed pin standard sight so it just allows you to still have an overall comfortable setup as for overall weight and carrying it through the hunting woods um, because the base bow is lighter, you're able to put these accessories on there and then still be at a manageable weight, especially if you're covering a lot of ground, um, doing elk hunts or backcountry hunts. Um, it doesn't seem like much, but you know, I've had times where, um, you have a bow where, it, you know, it might weigh just half a pound more, but by the end of a 10 day hunt, um, you know, covering 10, 15 miles a day and you have that bow in your hand all the time. There's just been times where I come back and I feel like I've got tendonitis in my arm uh, or in my elbow just from 
um, or tendonitis flare-up just from having to hold the physical weight of that bow for days and days and days on end. And I've just really got to the point where I like I like a lighter setup, and I just get along really well with it. Um, there is benefits to carbon. It is stiffer. Um, the riser will most likely flex less. Um, it really depends on how the carbon is laid out and the actual design of the carbon. You know, you can you could certainly design an aluminum bow to be as stiff as a carbon bow, depending on how you structured and engineered um, each of those designs. Um, but overall, as a rule of thumb, it's going to be stronger. Um, but I will tell you, you know, I know that. Right now, if you're especially if you're in a state where it's not going to be that cold, if you're in a southern state, um, if you're if you're really not a person that's just like you know carbon means that much to me, I can tell you that the regular Defiant is awesome. Um, I shot um, I've got a blue one, uh, aluminum Defiant 34. I shot um, a blue one um, for some indoor tournaments. And then I shot, um, I've got a black one, um, which I kind of set up for hunting earlier. And because I only had the, the one carbon bow, I got the aluminum one and I was really debating shooting it. Um, but it's black and my carbon one's camo. So I ended up just taking the camo simply because the other one is black. But I don't think there's um, anything wrong with shooting an aluminum one if that's what you like they're certainly cheaper right now and they're more they're more available um it's kind of splitting hairs but for me the the main um the main selling factor is gonna be just how nice they are to grab a hold of them when they're when that riser is freezing cold no question so appreciate all you um shoot me these questions I'm um, gonna wrap this one up. I'm I'm trying to uh, s- coordinate some times with one of my good buddies to get on here with me and uh, do a little bit of talking about hunting. I know season's getting close, so there's some stuff that any of you hunters out there, we got to start covering. We got need to start talking about some uh, some early season stuff. Uh, make sure you get out and grab your um, latest copy of Peterson's Bow Hunting. I've uh, got a really cool article in there about backyard drills make sure you let peterson's bow hunting know um, that you like my articles too i had um had a i think i've had an article in every magazine this year and a lot of that's because of the feedback coming from all of you out there appreciate the support so much and remember uh it means a lot and it goes a long way for you to click that share button and let people know about these podcasts i'm doing it for you guys and doing it for free there's no advertisers on here so thank you so much appreciate it knock on everybody be sure to visit knockonarchery.com to see our entire line of trendy knock on lifestyle clothing knockonarchery.com